and come on, technology gods and regular God too. <laughs> hey everyone, and welcome to Chef AJ Live. I'm your host, Chef AJ, and this is where I introduce you to amazing people like you who are doing great things in the world that I think you should know about. I'm so honored today to have Dr. William Lee back on the show. He's written yet another New York Times bestselling book. This one is called Eat to Beat Your Diet, Burn Fat, heal your metabolism and live longer. And I'm so excited that I finally get to meet him in person in September. He's one of the speakers at the Plantrition Conference and I can't wait. Uh, please welcome him to the show. Congratulations. So it seems like all the only books you write are New York Times bestsellers. That's all you know how to do, huh? Well, it's great to great to see you, Chef AJ. Thanks for having me back. I love actually talking about um, really the secrets of the body and how the foods that we choose to put into our body activate those secrets to be able to generate better health. That's fantastic. You know, you're teaching a course on this too, and we're going to have links in the chat and the show notes. That sounds wonderful. Yeah. You know what, uh, what I've heard after I had the book out and I've done a bunch of podcasts is people are coming back saying, you know, can we actually, can I actually um, teach people sort of the soup to nuts uh, uh, on how uh, health defenses work, how metabolism works, how do we fight harmful body fat to get to better health. And really what I write about is, um, particularly in my latest book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, is how do we get to that next level of our health? Because no matter uh, what your age is, what your level of fitness is, whether you're fighting a chronic disease or not, that's what we all want, right? We always want to get to our next best level. And that's what's very personal. Our metabolism is something that's very unique and personal to us. So this latest book I wrote, Eat to Beat Your Diet, is all about how do we actually understand how to personalize our diet to ourselves in order to have a better metabolism, which is more energy, which is lower chronic disease, and which is actually better overall uh, gut health, mental well-being, and actually better aging as well. That's fantastic. Is is um? Do you have a a, per, a particular personal interest in weight loss? Is this something that's touched you either in terms of friends, family, or patients? You know, I I, I love the fact you had to ask that question because when I was writing my this eat, eat to beat your diet, I saw it as a sequel to my last book. And one of the things that I discussed with my literary agent, and my publishers, uh, was that I actually don't want to write a weight loss book. I want to write a health gain book, not a weight loss book. If in gaining health, you also, as a side effect, a side benefit, lose some weight, that's totally cool. So my own position is that we should love our food to love our health. We should not actually fear our food. And a lot of the motivations that people have, some of them are really well-founded to try to lose weight. And it could be for vanity, which, by the way, I have no uh, argument with people who want to look better. I think that's really important for us to have a good self-image and you got to feel good, whether it's fitting into a certain kind of clothes or getting ready for an event. I have no problem with that. But I do think that this obsession of hopping onto the, you know, the, the runaway locomotive of the latest trend, um, potentially at your own uh, risk of harming yourself uh, and then getting into this mental cycle you can't get out of, of you know, sort of lose gain, lose gain, it's really overall not about health. So what I try to do is to do a reset, to say, you know what? What I'd like to do with my research is to share with the world, how do you actually improve your metabolism? By improving your metabolism, you are going to lose harmful body fat. And when you lose harmful body fat, you're going to lose some weight if you would like to. 
and if you need to. And overall, you get to actually have better health while you get to lose weight. That to me is the right order of priority. Right. So you say metabolism. What's a, a quick and dirty definition? What is metabolism? We all have one, right? Listen, metabolism is the one of the most common concepts uh, for health and wellness, but I think one of the least uh, understood. Because if you go to Wikipedia and you type up metabolism, it'll give you a textbook definition for everyone you know, who has a computer and access to Google, pretty much the same definition as doctors get in medical school. It's a biochemistry. It's a sum of all chemical reactions and blah, 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 blah. Really hard to put into context for every person on a, on a practical level. So I want to actually give um, uh, you, share with your audience how I like to think about metabolism. Now, I'm a researcher as well as a doctor, so I could, I could talk in tech, technical speak, but there's a lot easier way to, to, to think about metabolism. Metabolism is simply put, the way that our body extracts energy from the foods that we eat, the foods that we choose to put in our body, and how our body uses that energy to be able to power up, deliver energy to run the cells and organs and other systems in our body. And what I like to give people an easy to understand analogy on, it's kind of like a car. If you drive a car, whether it's powered by gasoline or whether it's powered by electricity, an EV, all right, you mostly don't think about the energy uh, of, of how the fuel system actually works. You don't think, you don't spend much time thinking about how does gasoline get from the gas tank, you know, through the carburetor and into the engine and fire the pistons. You don't think about it. You get in the car and you go, just like we get up in the morning and we go. All right. But there are times that we do think about when we actually need to load up on our fuel. And those times are really when we're running low on our fuel. So we do pay attention to the fuel gauge. Everyone knows the E or the, uh, uh, or the F, full or empty. And that's when we think about it. And similarly, when it comes to our food and our energy and our metabolism, look, we go about our way, minding our own business. Some of us feel more energy. Some of us feel less energy. This happens as we age throughout at any point in our life. And the times that we think about our metabolism, our fuel, is when we get hungry, when we're running low on fuel, and then we have to eat. And so that's a good starting point of understanding metabolism. It boils it down to something that everyone can actually understand. You know, it blew my mind when you said, by the way, if you just joined us, we're with Dr. William Lee talking about his latest book, Eat to Beat Your Diet, another New York Times bestseller. You said that it's not our metabolism that causes us to be fat, but that fat is what slows our metabolism. All right. This is a jaw-dropping thing that I couldn't resist putting in the book. And it's, in fact, central to what I write about in Eat to Beat Your Diet. Look, most of us think that if you are, you're either born with a fast metabolism or born with a, you're either blessed with a fast metabolism, and that's the, that skinny friend of yours who can eat anything and says, well, I never gain weight. Uh, I have a fast metabolism, or that you're cursed uh, with a slow metabolism. And we all know people like that. I mean, it may be somebody watching us like, yeah, man, I wish I was, I wish I had a faster metabolism. I've always struggled with food and my weight, right? So the idea was that the speed of our metabolism dictates whether or not we're actually going to struggle with food and gain weight. I used to always think that as well. However, um, in uh, at the end of 2021, there was a research study that changed the entire way we think about human metabolism. So it's less than a couple of years old. And I want to actually tell you that a group led by a researcher named Herman Ponzer out of Duke University worked with uh, researchers 
um, uh, uh, from uh, 90 researchers from 20 different countries. And what they did is they studied human metabolism across the lifespan of 6,000 people using the exact same technique. Never been done before. All right. And here's what they found out. I'll tell you, these are a couple of truths, new truths that blow my, blew my mind that I think helps us understand where does metabolism of fat and weight loss, where does that all fit together? And have we been thinking about it all the wrong, right, right or wrong ways? Here's, here's, let me tell you what we found. They found in this study, which is published in the peer-reviewed journal Science, that all people are pretty much born with the same metabolism. And, and that makes a lot of sense because uh, humans are born with pretty much the same way that our vision works and our hearing works and our kidneys work. Our metabolism, which is just part of our machinery, is, is made in exactly the same way. Just like the fuel system of your car rolling off the assembly line is going to be the same no matter what kind of car you actually, whatever, if you have a different, mod, same model car, it's going to be working exactly the same way. All right. So if everyone's born with the same metabolism, it's not that you're blessed or cursed. So what is actually going on? Well, it turns out across the human lifespan, this research discovered, made the breakthrough discovery that all humans go through only four stages of metabolism throughout the course of their lives. These four stages, everyone follows. So here's what it is. In the first stage of metabolism is from zero birth to one year old. Your metabolism goes skyrockets up, 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 50% higher than what it's going to be when you're an adult. That's why what we expose our infants to, our newborns to, is so critically important. Health begins at birth, all right? So think about all the things that we expose people to that can change metabolism and alter your hormones. You know, the endocrine disruptors, the plastics and the sippy cups, the teddy bears that's shedding, you know, plastic particles, microplastics, all those kinds of things. This is making us rethink it because our metabolism is going skyrocketing to the first year, one year old, phase one. Phase two, all right, is from one year old to 20 years old. That's right through teenage years, right? So anybody who's ever had a teenager and, or observed teenagers know that teenagers at a certain point are eating two dinners, they're bouncing off the wall with energy. You're assuming that as they're getting older, their metabolism is going up, right? There must be, must be burning up, right? Um, it turns out that's not true. It turns out from one year old to 20 years old, metabolism is going down, 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 down to adult levels. Wow. Teenagers have a declining metabolism, not a soaring one, a declining one from 20 to 60. And this is what I want everyone who's watching or hearing this to pay attention to. Metabolism is assumed to go down, right? Everyone says, I'm 50 years old, I'm 40 years old. Now my waistline is going to change. My body size is going to change. I'm struggling as a middle-aged person. Totally wrong. The hardwiring of human metabolism in phase three of the human lifespan from 20 to 60 is rock solid. It's hardwired, designed to be completely stable throughout our entire adult lives. Surprise, big surprise, all right? And then the fourth stage of metabolism from 60 to 90, all right. Uh, metabolism does go down a little bit, but by the time you're 90 years old, if you're lucky to live that long, your metabolism is only going to be 17% lower than it was when you were 60, which is the same as it should be when you're 20. So what is actually happening is that I just described the wiring, the hardwiring, the operating system that you would have in a laptop. So Chef AJ, if you and I were to buy the same laptop at the computer store from where you live and where I live, 
and we plugged them in, booted it up, the operating system of that same laptop would work in exactly the same way. That's how we discovered how human metabolism is. So why is metabolism different? Why do people struggle with different metabolism? And yes, during middle age, people's, people's weight, body shape does change. So what was really mind-blowing is what the relationship is to metabolism and body fat. So I told you what the program is, and it turns out that this program, these four stages were only revealed by the research when they used um, uh, artificial intelligence to remove from the results of studying metabolism of the effect of excess, excess body fat. So when you threw excess body fat back into the equation, it actually completely screwed up all that, that hardwiring. All right. So it's not that a slow metabolism causes you to gain excess body fat. It's the other way around. Excess body fat sits on your metabolism and crushes it. That actually puts the power in our hands. We can't blame our genetics. We now are empowered to understand how to fight that extra body fat. Yeah. You know, you mentioned earlier that, you know, if people want to lose weight for vanity, that's completely fine. And there's this movement now about health at every size. And while we never want to shame or blame someone for excess weight, you know, they people actually carry cards now to give their doctor, don't weigh me, you're shaming me. But aren't there risks to having increased body fat and, you know, medical true health risk? I've heard even certain cancers you have an increased predisposition for. So it's not just about vanity, having, having this excess fat that people want to get rid of. Right. Well, so this is the other thing that my research has revealed is that fat is not what we, is not only what we thought it was, right? So think about when most of us as adults think about fat, you're in taking a shower, you step out of the shower, you're out of the corner of your eye, you look in the mirror and you see a lump or a bump that doesn't belong. What do you do? You curse yourself. And so, you know, then you step on the scale and that number, if it's not the exact number that you were hoping it was, you're, it, it frustrates you or makes you angry, even more angry. And you go, man, I got to get in better shape. I got to go on a diet. That's the cycle that we're locked in by our society. And even though there's this sort of anti-fat shaming movement, look, this isn't about shame. This is about health. And so I wanted to actually tell you what we're beginning to realize about the biology of body fat. First of all, Fat is our friend. It's our ally. We all need body fat. In fact, let me tell you, fat is formed one of the first tissues that forms in our body. So when your dad's sperm met your mom egg, mom's egg, and they collided and they started to wobble and turn into the future you, after a few weeks of actually growing the shape that you're going to ultimately be in, cells got formed. The first cells were blood vessels that get formed. These are the highways and byways that bring oxygen and nutrition to every cell in your body. Second form, cells that get formed, your nerves. Very important because nerves are the electrical wires that control everything that moves in your body, everything that functions. Third cell, guess what? It's body fat. And body fat forms at these little bubbles, kind of like bubble wrap, you know, in a, in a packing crate. The stuff that, you know, you when you're a kid, you squeeze and you twist and you crack it. Okay, so these little bubbles where do they form? Like when you're in your mom's womb, they don't form, they don't form a muffin top or on your thighs when you're in the womb. They form initially around blood vessels. In fact, they form like bubble, like a layer of bubble wrap around each blood vessel. And you go, why the heck is that? And this is what I, you know, try to explain in my book by understanding the very nature of our fat. 
you learn that it's not something to fear or despise, but you begin to appreciate what it actually does for us. The reason that fat forms around blood vessels is because when we eat food after we're born, that food, we absorb the energy through our blood stream. And guess what? The fat cells are the fuel tanks of our metabolism. So we want to actually take food, put it in our mouth, chew it up, swallow it. It goes into our bloodstream. And as it's actually going through our bloodstream, our metabolism takes that energy from the food. Remember, we talked about this in the definition of metabolism, and then stores that energy into our fuel tanks, which is our body fat. And our body fat actually has this amazing ability. These fat cells have the amazing ability to expand. So unlike a fuel tank in your car, that once you get to the top, if you overflow it, it'll if overfill it, it'll actually just come spill out the side of your car. For fat cells, your fat cells can expand three times in their size. And then the next one fills up three times its size. And then the next one fills up three times their size. And then if you keep on eating, all right, uh, and you still have more energy being loaded into your tank, your body will reach over to its stem cells and create new fat cells. So all of a sudden you can start understanding Oh, you mean my fat's my fuel tank? So I want to load it up? Sure. And then you want to actually burn down that fuel in order to be able to power up your functions. And as you can imagine, if you overload your fuel tank, the, in, in, in our body's case, it, the, if fuel won't spill out the side like you would in a car at a filling station, if you overflow the gas tank, but like in a gas station, it, it can be a, a dangerous, toxic mix, uh, mix if you actually overflow it. In our body, we just continue making more and more fat cells until they fill up. Now you begin to understand why overeating is the most common cause of obesity and growing too much body fat, number one. Number two, it's not that the so the fat is, is our fuel tanks. It's a good thing we need it. By the way, if you remember that movie with uh, Tom Hanks, uh, Castaway? Yes. I loved it. If you were, if you were um, thrown out of a FedEx plane into the ocean and drifted on an island and didn't have anything to eat, guess what? You would actually start burning down that, those fuel tanks more and more and more. You burn down every single bit of fuel you have, which is why castaways get skinny and skinnier and skinnier. They're losing weight, except for the except for the skipper on Gilligan's Island. For some reason, he didn't get skinnier. He had the canteen from the, uh, from, the from the from the studio delivering the sandwiches uh, between takes. <laughs> but you're right, you're right. But you know, even even if you're even if you're shipwrecked, if you can find food, you you can actually start to build up your fat stores again. So good point about that. But so this is why fat. And by the way, body, uh, bodybuilders, you know, competitive uh, uh, bodybuilders whether it's a, a man or a woman going into competition. You know those people who have these amazing cartoon-like superhero bodies where you can see the sinews of their muscles? They have like 5%, 3%, 2% body fat. They look like perfect um, uh, physical specimens. They're actually not perfect. They have lost so much body fat in the interest of showing off the physique of their muscles that they're actually in danger of actually crushing, crashing their metabolism. And so this is why body fat's our friend until there's too much of it. And the and it's and the worst kind of body fat, by the way, is not the stuff you see out of the corner of your eye in the mirror. It's not the 
uh, uh, fat under your arm. It's not under your chin. It's not the muffin top. It's not the thigh. It's not the butt fat. The most dangerous fat that's associated with cardiovascular disease, diabetes, uh, inflammatory diseases like cancer, 11 different cancers have been shown to be associated with excess body fat, esophageal, colorectal, breast cancer, liver cancer, uh, 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 uterine cancer. All of these are associated with excess body fat. The most dangerous kind is the kind that grows inside the tube of your body, inside your belly, that your belly is called the viscera, like that's where your guts are, and visceral fat you can't see it. It's packed inside a body. So you could be a skinny person, thin body, thin tube, okay? And be packed with visceral fat. So that's why the kind of fat you want to get rid of is the most dangerous kind, which is the stuff inside. Is there a way to measure how much of each type of fat we have? Yeah, well, I mean, look, so um, uh, there are DEXA scans that you can go to a holistic practitioner that can actually measure not just body weight, which is like the net weight of your bones, your muscles, your skin, your water, but the a DEXA scan will actually take all that apart and tell you how much is water and how much is fat and how much is muscle and how much is bone and where is it. And uh, there are now newer home devices that you can actually uh, find where I, I saw one, uh, you know, I, I, um, I'm still Check, checking it out. So I'll come back on your show in the future if it turns out to be good and we can talk about it. But it's a technology that, you know, if you can stand on a scale at home, it's, you know, one of them might be your regular weight scale. Okay. The one by your, by in your bathroom, this one looks like it uses electrical impedance, the electric electricity in your feet, and it sends up signals. So it can actually tease apart on your phone, which is amazing, the different components of how much visceral fat you actually have, how much of that tube fat, gut fat you actually have. So gut health, by the way, when you only think about gut health as gut bacteria, absolutely, that's really important. But there's another dimension of gut health, which is how much visceral fat you have. If you've got too much, you are in danger because it is inflammatory. Nice. Dr. Lee, I want to read, read a very nice comment from one of the live viewers, Alicia. She says, Dr. Lee's books are life-changing. His TED Talk impacted me deeply. You have a really popular TED Talk on YouTube. Yeah, no, I, I gave a TED Talk about uh, 10 years ago. It was called, um, Can We Eat to Starve Cancer? And it was really the first time that I took the work that I do as a scientist in the laboratory and in the clinic and brought it out to the public to really say that our circulation, our blood vessels are 60,000 mile channel throughout our body. They're the highways and byways of all the oxygen and, and the nutrients that we actually eat. And so we have to take care of it. It's gotta be healthy. And if we don't take care of it and it runs away from us and we don't have enough or we have too many blood vessels, it can lead to diseases like cancer. And what I described there first that now has led to my first book and now my second book is that the foods that we eat can radically affect either help or hinder our circulation, our immune system, our gut health, our stem cells that are inside us, our DNA protection and our metabolism. And if we can actually eat to improve our metabolism, now think about what I just said there. Most people think that you have to starve or not eat to improve your metabolism. But I'm telling you that one way to fight harmful visceral body fat is to eat the right foods that your body does process for energy, fuel. But as an additional benefit, there are many foods, I read about more than 100 of them, 150 of them, 
they contain substances that activate our body's own pathways to burn down harmful body fat. So you can eat foods to burn fat. And so many of them are, are plant-based things that many of us are already eating, certain fruits you talked about, beans, even certain spices that we already love. That's right. Well, you know, I so before we get into the details, I, I want to say that there's a whole chapter I wrote in uh, Eat to Beat Your Diet called that is that reflects how I eat. Because I always, people on the street ask me when they see me, they're like, Dr. Lee, tell me what your diet is. And first thing I tell them is I said, you know, first of all, I'm not on a diet. I don't really believe in diets myself personally. I do respect when other people want to try them. I've never really felt like I need to go on a diet and, and, um, uh, and I enjoy food. And most diets are about elimination and subtraction. And I'm all about addition. I want to, I want to enjoy my life. It's part of my quality of life is being able to enjoy my food. So how do, but I said, but I, even if I'm not on a diet, I do have a style of eating. And I want to tell you what my style is. I eat Mediterranean style. It's a, it's a word I made up, but it really reflects uh, my background, my travels, where I've lived. I've lived in the Mediterranean. My background is Asian. I, when I go to a restaurant, when I plan a menu, uh, when I'm at a buffet, you know, or wherever, I'm automatically thinking, what are the ingredients and what are the, what, how are they being cooked in ways that are resonant to either Mediterranean style, Mediterranean style cuisine or Asian style cuisine? I'll automatically go and choose those kinds of foods. And after all, uh, I, I think I'm, I, I don't think I'm the alone in this. Uh, most people would say like me, if you walk into a Mediterranean restaurant or an Asian restaurant, you're going to be able to find something on that menu that you're going to really, really like. And so for me, my part of my pleasure is drawing from these two revered, healthiest culinary cultures on the history of humanity and to understand that the ingredients that they use in their traditional cooking, many of those uh, have polyphenols and other substances that activate uh, uh, hardwiring in our body, part of our system, to burn down harmful body fat. And when you burn down harmful body fat, your metabolism begins to rise. It goes to where it is hardwired to go. It's kind of like, um, you know, if you have a laptop and you start uh, uh, it out of the box, it works perfectly. It's really fast. Over time, you get viruses on it. You download a lot of stuff. There's a lot of junk in your computer. If you actually reboot your computer, you run an antivirus program, you remove all that extra stuff that you don't need, start deleting some apps, uh, all that kind of stuff, guess what? Your operating system is able to run as quickly as it's supposed to. And that's the secret to improving your metabolism. Burn down that extra harmful body fat, especially visceral fat. And now you are back at the races pretty much where you were when you were born, ready to actually go about your way and seamlessly embrace health, uh, lower the harmful body fat, improve your metabolism, and, and this is the key, this is very important, and, and enjoy your food at the same time. Yeah, that sounds too, too good to be true. Now, you talked about certain foods that can boost your metabolism, but are there foods that maybe many people are eating that really aren't favorable, that maybe slow it down? Yeah. Okay. So I want to break this down in a couple of ways. So there's sort of like what you eat, which is the question you're asking, uh, how you eat, 
which really relates to how much you eat is important in terms of your metabolism and body fat. And then the other part of it is like when you eat all these things, the what, uh, uh, the, the what you eat, how you, uh, how you eat, and when you eat all have an impact on this, this harmful body fat and whether your metabolism is going to soar. So I want to break that down with your permission a little bit so that viewers can actually understand this. So before we talk about the bad guys, which, you know, okay, I'm just going to, I'm going to, um, uh, this is, there's no spoiler alert here. Everyone knows that the, that many of the foods that are harmful for our uh, overall health uh, are now being discovered to have the, the reasons why they're not so good. <clears throat> and, the, and the list of reasons are adding up. One of them is damaging your metabolism. So if you have too much sugar, if you have too much artificial uh, preservatives, artificial coloring, uh, artificial sweeteners, frankly, uh, uh, artificial um, flavoring, all those chemicals, as well as sugar, refined sugar, if you pour them into your body, as we've been trained to do since the 1950s by the commercial food industry and the, all that marketing that goes on, we wind up actually losing sight of sort of the natural whole plant-based diet that we do know is actually really healthy. And what happens is that all those other additives, okay, and the sugars actually overwhelm our metabolism. Those fat cells actually get bigger, 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 bigger until they start leaking fat and, and triggering inflammation. That inflammation is sort of the beginning of your downfall for health and leading to all those chronic diseases. Artificial sweeteners, all artificial color flavorings, coloring, all that other stuff. By the way, a lot of that stuff that we see in, in the United States is banned in other parts of the world, like in Europe. They don't allow ultra-processed foods to be sold with that stuff. They for, force more natural uh, substances there. But when we eat it, what it does is it damages our health defenses. It damages our metabolism. It overloads our metabolism. And now, guess what? Our hormones that, that help us absorb that energy, our insulin, our glucose, you know, uh, all those types of systems are uh, derailed and our metabolism doesn't function. We start building up extra body fat and then we start becoming inflamed from the inside out. So there are the usual suspects, <clears throat> you know, uh, ultra processed foods, uh, uh, excess uh, meats, ultra uh, processed meats, so a carcinogen, excess alcohol, uh, you know, the, the list goes on. It's, it's the same list of bad actors that we already know. <coughs> Excuse me. But what's really interesting is what are the good actors that can be helpful to us? And those good actors almost all come from our gardens. They, you know, they're the tomatoes, the uh, dark leafy greens, the brassica. They are the nuts and legumes. Uh, they are the herbs and spices they are the healthy oils, whether you're talking about um, olive, extra virgin olive oil with the polyphenols or whether you're talking about omega-3s, okay? Whether they're plant-based omega-3s from ALA or whether they're actually from seafood. And so it's the usual cast of characters rear their heads. Again, the bad guys, still the bad guys. The good guys, better than ever before, all right? And so in my book, I list 150 different foods that all light up your metabolism, help you burn harmful body fat. But the quantity of food, regardless of whether it's good or bad, matters. Because remember, I talked about those fuel tanks. You put food in your mouth, you chew it up, swallow it, absorb it in your bloodstream. Your body, your metabolism works immediately. Insulin goes up. Insulin is a healthy hormone that helps us normally pull that energy from the food and store it into our cells, including our fat cells. 
you eat too much food, this is the how we eat, and you load up all your fat, you're still eating, now you gotta stretch those fat cells to their uh, limits. <clears throat> oh, still eating? You gotta be kidding me. Now you gotta draw your, uh, your stem cells and create brand new fat cells, and you keep loading them up day in and day out, week in and week out. That's how you grow large amounts of excess body fat. Very, very harmful because the more you grow at the center, when fat outgrows its blood supply, bigger, 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 it, it acts like a cancer. And now the center of the fat doesn't have enough oxygen because it's outgrown its blood supply. And like a tumor, the inside of it starts to die. When it starts to die, your body's reaction is to send in inflammation to rescue to clean up all those dead cell, dead and dying cells. Inflammation plus fat is a noxious, toxic combination. So when you grow, when you eat too much, regardless what it is, and you overgrow your fat storage, you overload your fuel tanks, not only are you gonna set off inflammation, but eventually that fat, that, you've, that energy you've stored expands a fat cell. The fat cells will start to seep out, leak out, Okay. And when they start to leak out the fat back into your bloodstream, it poisons your liver. Now you've actually disrupted your ability to detoxify your body. The toxins go up, inflammation's up. You've got leaking stuff all over the place. The, your metabolism, your metabolic hormones are out of whack. You can kind of get the picture. It is a bad situation. So this is why um, what we eat is important, how we eat is important. And then what I think is really, really interesting is the when we eat. The timing of your meals also makes a difference. So do you believe in doing some kind of intermittent fasting or even long-term water fasting? Love that question. And, and I get asked it all the time. First of all, I, what I tell people is that, you know what? I do intermittent fasting, but so do you, Chef AJ. And so does everyone watching this because <laughs> when we're sleeping, we're not eating. When we're not eating, it's called fasting. And when we wake up in the morning, we have our first meal of the day. It's usually called breakfast. We are breaking our fast from overnight. Now, so that's not news. That's common sense. So we all intermittently fast. And while the trends and principles and research behind intermittent fasting do make sense, and it is a healthy practice, I want to say that this is, you know, thinking about it just as a fad or a trend is the wrong way to think about let me explain exactly what's happening when you actually do fasting, meaning sleeping, meaning not eating. Okay, very simple. When we get up in the morning and, and we're eating food, the moment we put food into our mouth, there's a signal that's sent to our pancreas, one of the organs in our, uh, in our belly. And our pancreas is, a, is an endocrine organ that creates hormones. One of those hormones is insulin. Food going into the mouth, insulin gets made right away into the bloodstream. Now, I know that the popular digital zeitgeist is that, oh, insulin is, you know, really, really bad. Insulin spikes, glucose spikes. Now, insulin actually does go up and down. It's very normal. When you eat, it's going to go up. It shouldn't be going up all the time and it shouldn't be spiking all the time, but it normally is going up. Don't fear your insulin. It's good for you. It's your friend. And what happens is that when we eat food, ideally healthy food, insulin goes up and it helps to, your metabolism work. It draws that energy from the food that enter your bloodstream, that energy, and loads it into your cells, including your fat cells. <clears throat> when you're eating, your insulin's up, your body's metabolism is hardwired, so it focuses on drawing in that energy. It's kind of like being at the gas station, all right? When your fuel tank runs low, 
you don't think about you don't think about your fuel at all until your fuel tank runs low. You look at it, oh man, that red needle almost at E. Better find a filling station. You pull over to the gas station. Now all you can think about is getting filled up. Okay, and that's basically what happens is when the insulin goes up, your entire metabolism is focusing on loading up on that fuel. So you go to the gas station, you take out that nozzle, you plug it into your car, and you and you push it, and you're loading fuel. By the way, at the gas station, this is a great analogy. You get to choose what's the quality of the fuel you're putting in your car. You're going to choose the high octane, the high test stuff. You're going to choose the cheapest stuff. When you choose the cheapest stuff, look, your car is perfectly fine if you fill, load in some cheap gas every now and then. But over the course of your owning the car, if every single time you go to the pump, you are choosing the lowest quality fuel, I guarantee you, your car is not going to run as well as it would have had you actually chosen the high quality fuel most of the time. And if you compare it to your neighbor, that's actually choosing higher quality fuel. So this is why we have a choice when we pull over to the filling station for energy in our body, our metabolism, we get to choose the quality of the fuel that we're going to put into our body, just like at the gas station. Okay. Now, when we're, when we're loading up on our fuel and eating, insulin goes up, loading fuel into our body. That's what our metabolism is focused on. We're not burning fat. We're storing fat. We're growing the size of our fat. We're storing our fuel. That's when we're eating during the day. Okay. When we are sleeping, we're fasting. We're not eating. We're fasting. When we're not eating, there's no food going to our mouth. Guess what? Insulin levels drop. That's the switch in our body when our insulin levels go down to say, switch gears in our metabolism to go from fuel storing to fuel burning. So when we're fasting at night and not eating and our insulin's low, our metabolism switches into gear to burn down that fuel that we stored during the day. So when we're sleeping and we're fasting, it's only intermittent because we're going to bed and we're getting up the next day. All right. Um, we're in, we're burning uh, fat, harmful body fat, starting with that visceral fat, that gut fat, lowering that inflammation in our body, improving our metabolism and overall health. So think about what we know about intermittent fasting, the trend. You got to do 16, eight. That means don't eat for 16 hours and squeeze all your eating into eight. Well, what I just told you is that when you're not eating, when you're sleeping, uh, you're you're in fuel burning mode. So if you actually stretch that out over the long period of time, uh, eight hours works, 16 hours is even better. You fast for a whole day, 24 hours. Yeah, you're really tapping into your fat stores. You're burning down that fuel. It's going to be good for you up to a certain point. Now, if you're cast away on a desert island, like we talked about, okay, eventually you're, you keep on fasting. You're going to burn down all your fuels and now you're actually going to become skeletal. You're going to burn down every bit of energy in your body in order just to survive. That's not healthy. So intermittent fasting is a, is a, um, <clears throat> is a concept that's so natural to us. And when you, people talk about adhering to that 16-8 pattern, 16 fasting, 8 eating, I can tell you it does work. It's been studied in humans. It does work. But it's also been studied against 12 and 12, 12 hours fasting, 12 hours eating. <clears throat> Excuse me. Let me tell you. Give me an example of 12 and 12, all right? 12 and 12 would be more how I do it. And it actually works to help burn down harmful body fat, improve your metabolism. So let's say that you eat dinner at seven o'clock at night, okay? And let's say that you uh, uh, eat for an hour and you finish at eight. And let's say you go to bed at 11. Now, some of you may go, bed, you go to bed a little earlier. It could be a, bit late, a little bit later, okay? It's, but this is the example. 
All right. So then you go to bed at 11 and you sleep for eight hours. We know eight hours is a good quality sleeping time. Eight hours of metabolism switched into fuel burning mode, burning down extra body fat from 11 o'clock to seven o'clock. That's eight hours. You're not eating, you're burning fuel down. Okay. Um, think about that. After you eat dinner, finish eating dinner at eight. When you put your dishes away, if you don't eat a midnight snack, you don't eat a late dessert, you're not noshing all night long. Okay. You have actually gained between eight o'clock and 11 o'clock bedtime, three extra hours of fat and fuel burning time. So if you want to go from eight hours of sleep and add three hours to 11 hours, easiest way to fat and do intermittent fasting, finish dinner, put your dishes away, use that as a signal not to eat again. Now you got 11 hours. Now, if you do what I do, get up in the morning, let's say you get up at seven, maybe you get up earlier, maybe you get up later. It doesn't matter. This is the whole concept. I get up at seven, let's say, I don't eat right away. I do not do what my mom taught me to do when I was a kid that we all do, right? Roll out of bed, hurry up and go to the kitchen, eat some breakfast because when we were kids, we were programmed to get energy into our body, <clears throat> run to the school bus, don't be late for school, have enough energy to have a good day at school. We're adults, we don't need to do that. I get up at seven, I will wait at least an hour before I eat anything. I might get up, take my time taking a shower, getting dressed. I might go for a walk. I might check my emails before I sit down to eat anything. And sometimes I skip breakfast as well. But think about it. If you wait one extra hour before you eat after you get up, let's do the math. Dinner at seven, finish at eight, dishes away, no more food. Eight to 11, three hours of not eating. Metabolism shifts into fuel, fat and fuel burning mode. That's three hours, eight hours of eating. Now you actually have three plus eight hours of fat burning time. You get up in the morning, you give yourself an extra hour. That's three plus eight, 11 plus one extra hour, 12 hours. That is almost without having to work for it at all. You don't have to break a sweat into this. You have actually gained 12 hours of fat and fuel burning metabolism activating period of time without having to think about, oh man, I got to compress all my eating into 16 and eight. And by the way, Speaking of 16 and eight, would you, can you guess how that 16 and eight number came about? Like, do you have any idea? I did. No, I don't know. That was the first question because this was the first question I asked. I'm totally good with numbers. Tell me how you got to those numbers. Well, guess what? Here is the reveal. The research, the 16 and eight came from an animal study in mice, not humans. It does work in humans too. But at first, it, came, it, became, it became established as dogma, okay, uh, in a mouse study. Mice aren't human. Mice don't have to go to work. Mice don't have families they got to manage. They don't have to run around and take care of errands during the day, all right? But it turns out that the reason it was 16-8 is that the researcher, who was a postdoc, who did that experiment, okay, um, had to negotiate with her significant other how much time she was going to spend in the lab. And when she told, when they were having a discussion about this research, they're like, oh my God, you're going to have to have to do an all day experiment and you're going to have to, you know, um, feed them for a certain time and then not feed them for another period of time. I want you to have a good work-life balance. So I had an argument about it. And they finally decided that to be fair to the partner, the researcher would only feed the animals during business hours, eight hours. That gave 16 hours of fasting. So this was on the basis of an experiment whose hours were designed to support a relationship, not because of the science. 
So that's how the 16-8 thing is. By the way, I'm a researcher. I, I've had plenty of discussions with my partners over the period of years. This is the kind of how it gets done. But, you know, this idea that there was some magic number that, you know, that, 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 that Darwin's evolution actually came up with, not true. And so it turns out the principles matter. If you can do 16-8, great. If you can only do 12 and 12, like I described, that works just fine as well. That is really interesting. And I didn't know that. You know, uh, we have a funny comment from Mary Jo saying the reason Skipper didn't lose weight is he was eating too many of Marianne's coconut cream pies. <laughs> well, so that's the what you eat and how you eat, right? So it's like what you eat, how you eat, when you eat. Those are the three things that, you know, help govern our metabolism. Very, very, very simple. Yeah. A lot of people watching are saying they take medication for hypothyroidism. Are they doomed to have difficulty <clears throat> losing weight? Okay. So that idea I just laid out of food in, insulin up, energy stored, fat cells getting bigger, and then not eating, insulin down, fat being burned, is a very simple model that gets a little bit more complicated because um, uh, how we use our energy and how fast we burn down the fuel is also influenced by our hormones. Thyroid hormone is a big hormone that governs how fast we're burning down the fuel in a fuel tank, right? So let's say you go into your car, you've got a full tank of gas and you start monkeying with the engine with a fuel injector. So you're burning a lot more fuel or you tighten it up. So you're hardly injecting any fuel at all. Your car is gonna burn through gas faster on one hand or not be able to run that quickly on the other hand, that's the effect of thyroid hormones. You know, too much thyroid hormone, you are burning through that fuel. Your fuel injection is working overtime. Uh, a low thyroid hormone, guess what? Now you're just not burning it very efficiently. So it's easier to stack up that the, the, the fuel tanks. So it's, it's a simple way of thinking about why other hormones matter. By the way, middle age, think about that. I haven't explained, I haven't addressed why people, uh, and I hear this more most often from uh, from my women friends who are middle-aged, <clears throat> you know, why does their shape change? Well, now you've got something called life happens, okay? So first, hormonal things happen when you hit perimenopause and menopause, estrogen, progesterone, testosterone, all those, you know, endocrine hormones, reproductive hormones, they also affect how fast we burn our fuel. Yeah, so when you actually go through the um, change phase in your life as a woman, um, your metabolism is going to change because you're going to be burning fuel at a different state, easier to actually build up that amount of fat if you eat even at the same pace. The second thing that I say what happens during middle age is life happens. So think about it. When you are 18 or 20, I mean, we can all remember back to those days when we were in college or finishing college, man, like we had all the time in the world, we could actually do all kinds of things. But when you're middle age, you're starting to have other concerns outside of your hormones, outside of your body. You got the kids to worry about. You got the mortgage to worry about. You got the job to worry about. You got stress from economics. You got stress from the war. You got stress from the pandemic. All those things with stress not only limit the amount of physical activity that we're involved with, but they also affect our stress hormones, which then play into how we our metabolism also works. So that the middle age um, crisis that many people describe when they um, get to their midlife is very 
understandable, but that just means that we have we can actually put a little bit more elbow grease into fighting that harmful body fat so we can actually elevate our hardwired metabolism. Oh, thank you. You know, you talk about eat to beat your diet, but what about moving to beat your diet? Many of the guests are asking how they can specifically reduce visceral fat. And Rich, who's a bodybuilder, is wondering if exercise can help you reduce the amount of visceral fat. Absolutely. Exercise, physical activity is <clears throat> amazing because it burns down fuel. The more active you are, the more fuel you're going to burn down. And how do we know that? How do we know this? Well, you know, if you're pretty active, you're swimming all day, you're moving around all day. Guess what? You're going to be hungry into the day because you're going to be paying attention to your gas gauge, your fuel gauge. It's going to be running a little bit lower and you're going to go, man, I'm hungry. That's why when you, that's why people who exercise always feel hungrier um, than if they're, they don't exercise. So simple. I'm trying to make things really like, oh man. No wonder that's what's going on. I understand that better now. So exercise is very helpful. The more exercise you do, the more fat and energy you're going to burn. Um, so that makes a lot of sense. The key thing, though, is when you actually, after exercise and you're eating again, choose the healthiest foods. Plant-based foods are always healthiest. <clears throat> Great place to start. You should build your meal around that for your energy, but do not overconsume. What you eat is important. How you eat vitally important every bit uh, as much. Now, do you have to work out? Do you need a trainer? Do you need a gym? Turns out no. Okay. Uh, and the reason is this. It turns out that people studying metabolism have looked at a whole range of activities. Um, uh, working out definitely is helpful. Training for a marathon definitely actually um, uh, helps you fight harmful body fat and uh, visceral fat. Uh, but you know, guess what? Mowing the lawn going ice skating, uh, going for a 30-minute walk after dinner, all activate the same processes at a different level. I mean, this is what's personal about how to groom your own metabolism, how to make it your own. It's got to fit your life. It's got to fit your body. You may have joint pains. You may have another condition. You might have broken your knee skiing, but movement is what's important. Move to beat your diet is actually a, a companion to eat to beat your diet. And by the way, I, I talk about this really interesting study uh, in the book where people in England have studied uh, increased fat burning, calorie burning, and increasing your metabolism based on a kind of movement called fidgeting. You know, fidgeting, tap, tap, tap of the knee, okay, shaking the leg, you know, you're on you're your desk tapping your fingers, even fidgeting can help you burn down extra body fat and elevate your metabolism. That's great. Dr. Lee, thank you so much. If you guys like more information on how to eat to beat your diet, the link to the book is below, as is a course on how to boost your metabolism with Dr. Lee. I so look forward to meeting you in September. I'm looking forward to it as well. We can continue this conversation. And we can eat some of these metabolism boosting foods at the Plantrition Conference. It'll be a great time. Thank you, Dr. Lee. And thanks all of you for watching another episode of Chef AJ Live. Please come back tomorrow at 11 a.m. Pacific time when my guest is Dr. Lori Marbus talking about cultivating wellness. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.